0: episode of talking maiden the podcast of the beast how you doing Nesbitt? we're doing good all last, right last episode
1: of the beast last episode episode number four of number of the beast <laughs> with a special guest but gonna call in in half an hour so ooh, yeah
0: fantastic
1: so we still have hallowed be thy name and the bonus track totally clips that we didn't cover yet oh
0: i forgot that one
1: yeah what well, a bonus track
0: yeah all right Let's start with a beer.
1: Well, let's start with a beer. Yeah. So this one is from Grimroth Brewery, which is in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Uh, My sister sent me this. This is the Pugnacious Porter.
0: Nice. It's got got a pug on
1: it. A dry porter with hints of coffee, chocolate, and dark fruit, brewed in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Do not spend your time worrying
0: about those wasted beers. No wasted beers on this podcast. No, no. Oh, this is cool. I love the pug, the little pug yeah. on the logo. That's good. Fredericton, eh? Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of new breweries over the last couple of years in Fredericton. They've really all been there. really good. Yeah, we've we we've, we've done a bunch on we this did. podcast. Yeah,
1: yeah. My sister sent me a whole bunch of beers from Fredericton. Nice. So thank you to my sister. Mmm, that's lovely. Belgian
0: inspired, maritime crafted. A dry porter with hints of coffee, chocolate, and dark fruit. Isn't that every Inter- porter? I just read that. Yeah, you just read that out? <laughs> yeah. I wasn't listening. That's I okay. tuned you out. Like, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I was like, there's no clips. He's just talking. <laughs> yeah, it's um, tasty. I like it. i got a clip of me reading this earlier.
1: <laughs> so, we talked about pretty much everything you can talk about with this album. That's right. Except for the last tracks. Yes. So, instead of getting into more background, we're talking about the cover art, we're talking about the music videos, or the themes... Let's just get right into How it Would Be That Name. No. Three minutes into the, into the podcast, we're going straight into the song. We're going
0: to actually get... The new record
1: time. for getting into the meat of the album.
0: Full-on disclaimer. Yep. Yeah. My favorite track. On the album? Or of All Time? All Time. I, I'm going to go a step further. Favorite song ever. This is your favorite song ever. I don't know; it's a bull play, yeah. but I'm okay. feeling it. The Porter's yeah. kicking in. It's it's <laughs> one it's, of your favorite uh, songs. Well, ever, I've always for said sure. this or the Evil That Men Do are my you know my two favorites. Yeah,
1: yeah. But this is classic Maiden. Oh, it's so great. So this has got to be one of Maiden's best songs. I would say maybe one of the best metal songs of all time. I would agree. Like, if you think of like classic m- songs that people think are like, well, I'm, this is kind of my taste too, but. You talk about Sabbath and you've got like Sweet Leaf, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, Paranoid, War Pigs, Super Knot. Yeah, These are all like some of my favorite black Sabbath songs. I think this song's better than those. Puppets, Dire Z, One, Metallica songs. I think this is, you know, well, uh, Master of Puppets. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's one you can debate. But yeah. they're both up there as like the best songs. Hanger 18, Ace of Spades, Crazy, I know I hate Ozzy, Crazy yeah. Train, though was like, people yeah. would say that's one of the best metal songs. Seasons in the Abyss for me. Mm. Uh, this is one of the best metal songs of all time,
0: I think. Yeah, and while there's a lot of metal songs about death and destruction and all of this, right on, early on, this song caught me. And it caught me on the fact that it's such a long epic track. Well, not long, but it's such an involved epic track. Yeah, it is an epic that track. That you actually, you can, f- I've put myself in the mindset of being waiting to die. Yeah. You know, like yep. you listen to it and you're going through it. And no matter how many metal songs there are with like you know pictures of the camera down and the dirt coming on top, of you're talking about bleeding out or whatever, <laughs> you never feel it. But this one,
1: yeah, it builds the mood so well. Yeah, it so it just has the sound and the feel and yeah. the lyrics. You can feel exactly what this like poor guy yeah. that's about to be hung is like feeling and thinking. That's right. And like I hate to be one of those douchebags that uses like the word powerful to describe like metal songs, but like it's kind of pretentious to do that yeah a lot of people sometimes say this is so powerful and this is so powerful but this really is a powerful song it actually like affects your mood when you hear it It i think it actually does apply in this case yeah and like the bell tolling at the beginning you know with the drums and that bass note i don't know and the way it kind of like drags behind the beat a little bit and gives it this like uneasy feeling so just listen to the intro to the song and it it totally like he's singing about the bell begins to toll And you can actually hear the bell tolling and feel it.
0: about that intro is—we talked about Gangland last last episode. And you know how it's kind of—I mean, it's it is a bit filler yep. on this album, or or you know, it's the lesser amongst the um, iconic side on the final Yep. But when what's so awesome is you. Let's run to the hills and then and then Gangland and then whatever. No matter what you're doing, when you hear that intro, you're just like, oh, it's on. Yep. That's it. It just puts you right in that mood. Yeah. And and for me, I always picture this guy like in a tower. With like bars and he's looking out. And there's a crowd gathering and there's like, you know, there's a, a noose. And yeah. he knows that that noose has his name on it. Yeah. Because he says, yeah, at, at yeah.
1: five o'clock they take me to the gallows pole. Yeah. And you hear the bell beginning to chime, banging out five o'clock. Mm. And that's actually like, if you watch the live after death video, it's tumular bells. It's called. You can see Clive kind of reaches down and hits them. And that yeah. makes that bell sound. But nowadays, Nico kind of like does it on a cymbal. Yeah, it doesn't sound quite the same. I think Clive plays this song better than Nico. This is one of those instances where like Nico is kind of too busy and does a lot of like mm. swells with the cymbals and stuff. Like Clive just hits the bell and lets it ring out in silence, you know. And if you, I have a clip here of this is Nico in a studio version from two thousand five, and just listen to all the cymbal like swells and stuff. I think Nico really overplays it.
2: I'm waiting in my cold cell when the bell begins to chime. Reflecting.
1: So you can hear Nico puts those like little flourishes yeah. of symbol in there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. They don't belong in there. Yeah. The other side is. I don't mean Nico does a good job. I don't mean to yeah. trash Nico's version, because they're both really great. But Clive, it's so simple and He just keeps that feel better by playing
0: less. Yeah, and we talked about this previously, but part of my favorite... Part of the best way to build anticipation, or when you're drumming, one of the hardest things to do, is using silence. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's so hard, because drummers are so... They're keeping their time all the time, and most times they keep their time by moving. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but it's just... It's hard to tell. It's not like I like one drummer more than the other. I love Nico's drumming. I love Clive's, too. But I mean... Like we said, with Paul sing Paul songs, Bruce sings Bruce songs, Blaze sings Blaze songs. You know, maybe the first one that you hear kind of cements itself in your mind, yeah. and the other, the newer version, never sounds as good as the one that you heard when you were like a teenager. You know
0: what I mean? Totally.
1: But anyway, it it's starts off with that like mm-hmm. super eerie beginning, and it's just like sets that mood. And then Dave plays this really that creepy guitar lick under it, which just gives it like this eerie feeling. And it starts slow, and it just builds and builds. And that, you know, the sands for time for me are running low. Yeah. Sands of time. It's like he's, like, the character in the song is, like, calmly thinking in a cell. Yeah. The guard comes for him, and then, like, this panic sets in. Yeah. And he gets really frantic. And you can hear the way Bruce sings that part. It sounds like a guy that's, like, he's, like, okay. He's, like, all right, I'm going to go get hung now. He's kind of accepted his fate. But then when when they actually come for him, he's kind of, like, This panic sets in. And you can hear it in the way that Bruce sings the
0: song. So he
1: sounds half panic
0: there, you know? Yeah, he does. You know, you know what I love about this? We, we always love or Is This Real or Some Kind of Crazy Dream this is a song where it actually makes complete if it was if you were in this situation you'd be like is this actually gonna happen like what the hell i often think about that that death row concept like how time must slow down or speed up you'd be like you're i'm actually it's so crazy you're getting killed by the state or the, like they yeah. just deemed you no longer worthy to live and these people are gonna like line up and watch you die like it's so crazy yeah See, this shows that it's such a good song. Yeah. You think about all
1: the stuff. Yeah, that's it's right. Like, it's so great. And this is another example of a song that, like, Paul Diano could never pull this off. Oh, God. Okay, first of all, he couldn't sing it. But besides that, he doesn't have that stage presence. Like, he couldn't pull this off theatrically on stage. Like, Bruce, that's another thing Bruce brought to Maiden is, like, the theatrics. Yeah. You know, he comes on stage and he can really make you feel something and, like, sell the song. Like Paul Diano could maybe sing this. He probably couldn't sing some of the notes, but he could never sell it the way that Bruce sings it. Like Bruce becomes the character in the song. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's something I don't think Paul Diano really did. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was sing. He was like I like the Paul Diano stuff when he sings it. Actually, yeah. I prefer him to sing that era stuff. But he's not. I don't know. I don't. F- it it always seems like Paul Diano, where this sounds like you're feeling like what the character is feeling.
0: Yeah. Now Bruce has benefited from a bigger investment in stage material and, 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 you know, the space to move around. Yeah. A lot of Paul's shows are really tight and compact and all that, but I totally agree with you. Yeah. And that's kind of funny now because you've got Bruce up there running around this giant... But really, you know, when he played the song, when you yeah. see
1: him, he's kind of staying in one spot for a lot yeah. of the song. He is, yeah. With, next to that noose, you know? Yeah, you know. he's got the noose. I mean, I'm sure they could have afforded a noose for Paul Diano too, but I don't know. He, It's, it's awesome the way he line. sings it. He's just, he's like a showman that yeah. Paul Deano is not. And that's part of what takes him to this other level, I think. As a band, at this point.
0: Yeah, it's seven minutes, but it feels like three minutes. Like it goes so fast. Yeah, it totally feels like it goes fast. Yeah, it yeah. just even though it's slow, it slows, but like all of a sudden it kicks in, and starts accelerating. Yeah, and
1: the solo when the solo yeah. comes in. And the other thing I love is uh, even when I hear the studio version before the solo comes in, yeah. I can still hear Bruce sing like "Scream for Me," whatever you know, yeah. like, you know yeah. that part right before the solo. Yeah. That's Every right. time I hear it, even the studio version, I keep expecting him to yell that. That's right. It's that's so, right. Like, such a part of a song now. It is yeah and the solo is awesome. It's like Dave Murray solo starts off with this like super badass sounding like pick slide, yeah, and it has this like super fluid david Dave Murray riffing and then into a classic Adrian solo, yeah, so the two part solo where they hand off and they play together so perfectly, it doesn't sound like two solos stuck together because like Adrian picks up from Dave and like takes it up another level. but this is like their styles are different, but they're so similar. They just mesh together perfectly. And this is another thing that makes this song so great, is the way the two guitar players play together the solo. Mm -hmm. It's just amazing. That's one of their best solos too. Oh, this man, album is amazing. full of classic
0: solos. Yeah. It's
1: yeah, it's great. This is like a perfect song.
0: Yeah, it's my favorite.
1: I can't think of anything to criticize about this song. No, I
0: can't either. Not anything. Except maybe it's only seven minutes. Yeah, I don't As know. As an album closer though. It's the perfect length.
1: It's the perfect it's mm-hmm. the perfect build and the perfect payoff. Yeah. And then the ending is like the perfect way to end your yeah. album. It's just great. It's perfect. Nico says this is his favorite maiden song. What he said about like every album and everything. <laughs> really? yeah. He's always saying the things are that his favorite times. Wasn't that
0: yeah. he said "Matter of Life and Death" was his? Yeah, was I think best and "Dance of Death."
1: It. Death. He also said was his favorite album at yeah. the time. So it's like it <laughs> my
0: restaurant has the best ribs in America. Yeah. yeah well, we gotta go down there and yeah.
1: try that out. See if that's true. Right.
0: The ribs of the beast. The ribs. The ribs of the
1: beast. Now there's Last a big. The savior. There's a huge lawsuit, and we've talked about it on I mean, multiple. Oh, okay. Yeah. Podcasts, yeah. and I'm not even going to get into it anymore because I'm still sick of talking about it. <laughs> okay, but good. I, currently, yeah I thought
0: you were going to break it because I was like, "Wasn't there an off-air promise? We're like, no <laughs> yeah. lawsuits, no lawsuits. We're going to have this beer, and we're not going to talk about lawsuits." Yeah, that's okay. true. No, fantastic. Yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah, that's not that exciting so. for such an amazing song. It was pushed out of the set list, right? And then got pulled back in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we got lucky on yeah. that one. Thank
1: yeah. God. This was released as a single, but not until 1993. So, they released a live version of it to promote a real dead one. So, real dead one, that was right when Bruce was leaving the band. And the album cover for the single has uh, Eddie as the beast and a pitchfork, and he's like stabbing, killing Bruce Dickinson. So, that's like their goodbye to him, <laughs> having him being killed.
0: Um, I love some of the lyrics in this man. As the guard marched me out to the courtyard, someone calls from a cell, God be with you. If there's God, why does he let me die? I love yeah, that, cool. right? As I walk, my life drifts before me, and though the end is near, I'm not sorry. Catch my soul because willing to fly away. Like, just all of it. And as you say that, you just hear Bruce screaming it. Yeah. It's just perfect. And the, oh, anyway, I just love this tune, man. I, I need to listen to it all the time. It needs to be my ringtone. Yeah. What an album closer, too, right? Oh, that, that's my point I was going to make. How do you think of it as an album closer? It's perfect in theme, it's perfect there. This album is the greatest hits album. Yeah. And Anywhere on this album is going to get played. To, to pieces. And you're
1: going through but, with these classic metal songs. Yeah. And even into gangland where they keep the tempo up. And then yeah. boom, it just drops down. But then it kind of builds and builds and builds up to this like new peak and they finish on this like
0: But but it was it was it all artistic? I mean, did they not realize how iconic the song was? Like track placement was so important in those days.
1: Yeah. The sequencing of the album, yeah. It's yeah. perfect.
0: That's yeah. Great. You don't you don't put any second guess on it being there you don't think on the end this like, is the perfect closer I think there's yeah. nowhere else in the album
1: they would ever put this fair enough they must have realized when they wrote this and listened to it back they must have been like this song this is, is amazing, amazing. But, that, but that's what I
0: mean like why yeah. would you put it at the end because back in the you know it's wrong too right like yeah. in this era yeah. this time period later on employed like the, the pride spot was you know we talked about this before like three and four and you know like right before the end of the first side of the disc it's kind of when the album built the opener on the second side of the disc sometimes if statistically the end of the album is the least played i don't know about that because like i think
1: it's perfect mm-hmm. where it is yeah because if you look at the other songs on this album they're also strong it's not like a bunch of mediocre yeah. songs and they had this one amazing song yeah. and they put it at the end
0: sitting on an island out on yeah. the back end yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: you get side b's just like yeah well side a and side b you're just like book ended below your head off N- number of the beast book ended with hell so, oh, it's amazing well track we haven't talked about yet is total eclipse yeah which is yeah, steve harris clive burr and dave murray so bruce dickinson i have a quote from him he says i have to say clive burr's drumming on that one is unbelievable we had total eclipse left over which was a huge mistake it was not on the record a thing i think we all admit now for legal reasons i couldn't be credited with some of the rights so i am one of the people that thinks that this is shouldn't be on the album I think Gangland and Invaders fit on the album much better than this. Okay, that's just my opinion.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't have my track list in front of me, but I, the only time I listen to this song is when I, I I listen to the remastered version, which is in my playlist, which is on my Google Play. Yeah. So, which I listen to the most, it's track placement. Refresh me. Is it? Is it right before Halloween? It is right, or is it? Right uh, it's before... not on the album. No, but it's in. I've got it in one of the. Versions oh, when of...
1: they re-released it. Yeah, it's in there. So yeah, it came in uh, after Gangland. Before it Halber. came in after gangland yeah. and when Before they
0: re-released Halber. the C-
1: the cd with this as the extra track
0: when they re-released it yeah because when you look on the streaming sites it's in some and on others as a matter of fact I'm, yeah I'm it depends go. on which yeah.
1: release you're listening to yeah
0: yeah exactly the 2015 re- remastered one and google play doesn't have but the 1998 one does i think is the way it goes okay. but either way um yeah so i i i, I listened to it sometimes it's in there sometimes i don't i don't know do you do you count it as being in the album now no
1: i don't count it as a, tr- a track i count it the way you count like the b-sides or the bonus tracks
0: yeah
1: that's the way just because to me the vinyl album didn't have it on it when it came out yeah if they re-release an album and add extra tracks i mean i guess it could go either way yeah but it's, a, it's an okay song i'll just play the uh intro That intro, I think, is probably the best part of the song. song I think it kind of has like a Revelations vibe a bit. But then after that, the song's all over the place, and it never really gets anywhere for me. I'm not sure if it even has like a chorus. It's weird, there's like no vocal hooks. There's like, there's that sunrise is gone part that they sing over and over, but I don't know if that's mm-hmm. the chorus or what's going on. I don't know. And it's another thing that's weird is the solo comes in on the song and it just comes in so abruptly. It's just this weird like change and it just it doesn't seem like it should be there. so and it's a weird solo it's like all over the place but the song is just all over the place and then there's this like slow bluesy part down, it's just this weird it's hard to wrap your head around the song and even if you listen to it like over and over and over and over again mm. and then you know it like i know the song inside out now But it still doesn't seem like this cohesive song. It seems like a bunch of ideas stuck together. Yeah. Which is
0: weird. I don't know. It doesn't feel like... Well, it's obviously biased by my listening. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like it's consistent with uh, the rest of the album.
1: Yeah, it's weird, slow. It's got the slow, bluesy, moody part. It's got... I don't know. Like, there's good parts in there. Yeah. It just seems like a patchwork of stuff stuck together.
0: Yeah, and the understanding... Because it was was released as a B-side. The understanding was it was recorded in the same time, same session. That's our understanding now. Um yeah, I don't know. it Seems disjointed, but we have, you know, they've come out and they've said that uh, they would have had over Gangland. Now, it yeah, like they that. say that, but yeah. I, I don't I'm get glad it. they
1: didn't. Because like, if you replace Gangland or Invaders with this, yeah, coming through side B, you do. You got Beast, you got Run to the Hills, and then you got Gangland. If you went Number of the Beast, Run to the Hills, and then into this, this is such like a lull of a weird like momentum yeah. kill before you get to, you know,
0: yeah and even though Gangland kind of stands out it's a little bit different from the rest of the tracks it does have a bit of consistency with some of the earlier made and stuff and it kind of I don't know fits in there in my mind yeah it's a funny one I don't know I don't like them yeah. really talking about changing the album yeah. before because once you've kind of made it it is what it is which is totally hypocritical because all we do is sit around and postulate should this yeah. track have been there I I? but we're not the artists like you know like you gotta step back uh, That that is the album you can't really change it now this yeah. remastering adding tracks I don't even like it but
1: I don't think that this yeah this doesn't I don't know. This doesn't fit on the album, if you ask me. Gangland, it might be a little blah and Mm -hmm. like bland, but it's got that fast drum beat. It keeps the momentum up, and it keeps your buzz going, and it just keeps the energy going and pushes you through to Mm Halloween, where this would just be like... This would kill any momentum you had going. It's a buzzkill. This song is a buzzkill. This song is Buzz Killington. This is a weird (laughs) example in the Maiden catalog. So normally, the songs that we like, but then me and you cover them on the podcast... And you listen to them a lot, and you really pay a lot of attention to them and start picking them apart, and you start to really love them, you, you, it's like, oh, I kind of like that song. And then you, by the time we're done listening to them a bunch and talking about them, by the time we're done covering them on the podcast, I love them, right? That happened with, like, most of Dance of Death. I was like, Yeah, they're all right. But then by the time we're done talking about Dance of Death, they're like, some of my favorite tracks now. This one's the opposite. So this one is one where I always thought I liked it. I was like, eh, that's pretty good. Maybe it should have been on the album. And the more I listened to it, the less I realized I'd liked it. So I think yeah, Invaders and Gangland are better picks than this. Yeah. So.
0: Agreed. Agreed.
1: So I'm glad that Beast turned out the way that it did. Just because.
0: Yeah. Know. Well, I mean, it's, 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 you know, in reflection, we'll sum it up at the end, but perfect yep. album, tons of great tracks, awesome artwork, prime time for Maiden, took them to the next level. Um, Yeah. Amazing album.
1: Yeah. And the sequencing is just yeah, amazing. So Invaders. Yeah. I said before that's the link between the old sound and the new. Yeah. Where Bruce comes out and he sings he's singing high, but he's still singing in that like fast, thrashy style of a song. So you're not throwing the killer's fans off. Yeah. But you're kind of introducing Bruce but you know, one of those kind of killer's energy songs. And then they take it right down to Children of the Damned, show off Bruce's voice. But even that one where it's a slow beginning, that picks up into like a frenzy of like guitar awesomeness. Yeah. And then you just get like Prisoner, Acacia Avenue, Beast, Run to the Hills, nonstop. And then even with Gangland, which is we said was filler. But I mean, the energy keeps up and it's short and it's got a cool drum mm-hmm. beat and it drives you through. And then bang, you hit Hallowed Be Thy Name, the ep- most epic closer you could finish the album with. Yeah.
0: It's awesome. It is. Awesome album. It is. It is. It is um the the flow is fantastic you know it could be a greatest it's album the artwork okay. is perfect the the recording there's certain aspects of it um that, that I wasn't that you know it's awesome it's recorded yep. perfectly Birch did a fantastic job getting it right there's certain aspects of it where I don't think they've captured Bruce's best qualities yet there are other things like there's they're, they're kind of in between um specifically like you mentioned um invaders i find the prisoner as well i love some of the harmonies in there some of the drumming but you know the chorus and a few of these tracks and run to the yeah. hills invaders i find they're they're still just kind of finding their way as new maiden but overall i mean it's it's i mean where do people put this i'd probably put this in their top three or four albums yeah I and so i can't too. name the other three right now because you know, like I know. I, it's everyone our, says, Name your top three albums, I and can't. I start naming albums. and next thing I know, I've I named six, like nine, and I'm got like, Oh, six, well, I gotta nine. cut it down now. Yeah, gonna that's name?
1: right. And, and Dance of Death. <laughs> Someone um, ever asked me for
0: my top three maiden albums, it's so, impossible. I'd be like, Give me 60 yeah. minutes. To <laughs> but I would objectively say that, well, Hallow Be That Name is is my favorite song. You know, Number of the Beast is, is up there. I mean, probably. I don't know, one of the best for me. Yeah. And Children of the Damned too. Yeah. Children of the Damned, I mean, an awesome live. Yeah, and I think so Invaders is a
1: lot better than it gets credit for. It does, yeah. It's, it's just a, the chorus that's no good. Yeah.
0: And and it depends on your mood too. And yeah. you're critically like you can go, Oh, this chorus, you know. Invaders is get that little bit of weirdness. But at yeah. the same time, sometimes But the rest
1: just, of the song is so awesome.
0: And it depends on the mood you're in for made, right? Yeah, sometimes the, the, the camp most, is the best. Yeah. The the uh cover art is probably it I like when you put it on your shelf as a vinyl probably one of the best looking metal albums yeah it makes a nice t-shirt right? yeah oh absolutely <laughs> yeah it's awesome you know um, so I, I love it now um really excited to talk to our our uh, guest yes Jarvis he's
1: going to be calling yes. in three minutes so exactly. we're right on time
0: we timed so, this perfectly exactly so Jarvis is an Iron Maiden super fan oh my god he knows
1: yeah, yeah he loves Maiden knows everything about Maiden yeah
0: we sit here as Armchair Maiden fans you you read every book and watch every movie that they ever watched. You eat all the food that they used to eat. You smell <laughs> the same farts, all that stuff. So they get in the mood. I listen to the stuff on vinyl and try and keep up with you. And But he's living the rock and roll dream. He's out oh, yeah. there traveling around. Yeah. We talked to him. We're trying to line him up for a call. He's flying this way. He's flying that way. He's all over the place. Yeah. He actually has, we know him as the lead singer of Night Demon, but he also has his own uh, management company. He's Iron Grip Management. Yep. He he manages a lot of bands. I won't name them now because I can't do them all justice. But he's deep into the industry. Lives in Los Angeles. He gave us a video call. He lives and breathes metal. He lives and breathes metal. Uh, the, the, remember the the uh, the Night Demon cover art we went through. When we first talked to him. Right. He had this local town. That was awesome. But last time we talked to him, like we, we're sitting here, uh, we were lining up this call, and we were sitting here. And uh, he's always been awesome for the podcast. Well, we're sitting here, and remember, he was on the video call, and he's hanging out in his van, and then he goes to the beach, and we were oh, yeah. like, "Oh, like literally." <laughs> we it's... were sitting here in a snowstorm, and he was sitting on a beach in he, California. He was sitting on a beach in California, and uh, we're we're like, "Oh, maybe we'll get uh, five days to fly down to a beach sometime this year." Yeah. So it's not. So he's living the dream. So fantastic! He's gonna come on now. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna shut off, get some technical things set yep. up. The four and a half steak.
1: hours time difference between here and there. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I can't wait to hear because. The only thing we know going into this is this is his favorite album, so yeah. I, we'll come out at the end. That's somewhat more or less what he said. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We're here with Jarvis Leatherby, lead singer of Night Demon, and Iron Maiden super fan. How you doing?
2: Good, good. Thanks for having me back on.
0: Yeah. Where are you? Where are you calling from today?
2: I am in California today. Oh, damn! In California, that must be awful nice. Yeah. Yeah, the beautiful beaches of Southern California.
0: Night Demon HQ, right on the beach. Yeah, I
2: mean we're we're probably about a half mile from the ocean.
0: That sounds pretty amazing. So Jarvis, when you were on our podcast the first time, it's a while back now, and and you know we've we've uh, been talking about Night Demon quite a bit in between. Our our, our listeners love it, and uh, obviously your band has done a lot of exciting stuff. But when, we, when you were on, we we kind of pushed you for a favorite album, and we actually just went through this. If we were to pick our favorite Maiden album or our favorite two albums or five albums, we'd name seven or eight or nine albums, but you you, on the spot, you pick number of the beast.
2: Why did you pick that? And why is it this album resonates so much with you? Again, that is a tough question. You know, um, I know for you guys, it's easy. I'm sure book of souls is number one for you guys.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Whatever (laughs) album we recently covered is usually
2: our favorite. Yeah. Right. I know how you're like, Oh, no prayers. actually is really good. (laughs) 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 But, uh, um, actually that album has no prayer in my book of being number one. But haha. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> no, I still I love it all I love everything made Number of the beast just for me is if I had to pick one, it would be that because that's where classic maiden comes together for me. Even though they say, you know, the classic lineup is with uh Nico McBrain, which didn't come till peace of mind the, the follow-up from Number of the Beast. Um, uh, but you know, I'm a I'm a huge fan of the Diano era. And, um, as well as the Bruce era, but I think, you know, I'm also, I'm also a huge Clive Burr fan. I mean, I've, I've mentioned that before, but just his drumming style on this is insane. Um, you know, also this is the first album that you have, you have writing credits from Adrian Smith and you can definitely see where that stuff does come in and it's the first album for Bruce. So it's kind of goes back to the thing, you know, being in a band, I've been in a band, I've been in bands before where, you know, somebody quits and you get somebody new that's or, or, you know, you get somebody better. That's like, you know, that's like a very exciting time for a band. There's like a whole lot of creativity in there. It's almost like a new band, but you're still surrounded by like the key guys that have been with you that you feel comfortable playing with, you know, and that's kind of how I that's kind of how I feel about this lineup of Maiden. It was just a really exciting time because the band had been doing so well and you know on the first two records but getting a new singer you know it's tough to make that transition sometimes but when you get somebody as good as bruce and then you also have the just the inspiration that they were having at the time that the types of songs that they were writing and he seemed to add a lot to that even though you know there is that controversy that's been said about somehow contractually he was not able to be credited legally for any of the songs on the record. Like
1: I read a quote from Bruce Dickinson where he said he had a very strong moral contribution to the a lot of the songs on the album. So
2: Right. And you know, I mean, I can't I can't help but think that he had he had to have written something, you know, at least a lyric here or there or changed a lyric, you know. Um it just seems it just seems odd to me that, you know, that like somebody that has that kind of personality, you know, because even when you hear about how he joined the band, he was very, you know, confident already that he was going to come in here and make this a great band, you know, make a great, make a great band greater, <laughs> you know, Yeah. Uh, which is really. And he did. He did do that. He did do that. Uh, but although some of the songs sometimes when I listen to this record, there's certain songs like even 22 Acacia Avenue, like if I could hear Paul on that you know like i would have loved to hear what he would have done like i wish i wish there were demos of these songs with diano on them you know just to hear his voice then like there's there's there are certain songs that i can hear oh man it would be he would sound really really good on on some of these songs
1: yeah we mentioned that with invaders that i could kind of hear paul diano singing especially the the verses of invaders
2: yeah totally
1: and it kind of has that killers thrashy feel to it you know
2: what i mean right exactly exactly not the chorus i couldn't see him singing the chorus but honestly that honestly that's what kills that song for me it's kind of funny because you know you have to pick a favorite album and it's like you know your favorite album should have no weak points but sometimes maybe i think too much about it but but i mean that part of the song always kind of turned me off but then as a musician it's like well if you're gonna get back to the to the to the minor keyed verse like that you got to go from somewhere or it's just the same thing all the time, you know? So in contrast, it is a good song and, you know, it's, um, it's a quick song, which is, which is what I like. It gets the album off to a really good start. The intro is really good. And, you know, the song ends with the intro too, which I really like. They just bring it back, you know, it starts with that. And then, and then, and then it comes back. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, those are my main reasons, I guess, why I would pick beast, you know, also, You know, I grew up like watching, you know, like the the Beast over Hammersmith concert and stuff like that. And you could just I don't know. It just kind of feels there's just a really, really, really nice spark to this album. And even the title track, just the intro to that, the spoken word intro, you know, just kind of hearing the stories of like weird paranormal stuff happening in the studio. It just kind of seems like you can feel the vibe from it, that it was a really special time. And this was like a really exciting time for for. A young band really, really kind of finding themselves and and really putting all the pieces of the puzzle.
1: I find, too, with this album, it's kind of when you picture classic Maiden, like this is what you picture, like in the Beast video with like Steve with the black and white stripes and Bruce with totally. the studded, you know, the studs and the leather, and right. Dave Murray, and the you... leather jacket. And you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, or I even hate to say it, like the the Run to the Hills video. Yeah,
1: well, they're wearing almost the exact same thing. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Right.
2: Totally. I think they took a lot of those shots from uh, Beast over Hammersmith, but yeah, just that total vibe on stage. You know, like where it's kind of it's kind of bigger than than it was with um, with Diano, but it still had not gotten to the point with the whole theatrics and the stage props and. You know, the whole, uh, you know, they're playing in an Egyptian tomb, you know, like on Power Slate, Um, which is awesome. You know, I mean, I love all that stuff, too. But this is kind of like a middle point, wouldn't you say? You know, like, like kind of bigger halls, bigger concerts, you know, the big lighting rig, the big, you know, EMI was really pushing this record hard. And, you know, they had chart numbers in the States. And in the UK, you know, at that time, with really no no video or and no radio, or no, you know, no nothing radio happened for them until the next record. So, um, as a Clive Burr fan, I mean, no slight on uh, Nico McBrain. I mean, I, I I've always loved his drumming too, but there's just a certain level of craziness that Clive Burr has that. It's, it's, it's not, it's not relaxed. I mean, he's really going for it all the time. and Like, I really appreciate that so much.
1: Well, when you hear these episodes, when they come out, we have a lot of Clive Burr clips and we talk about a lot about Clive Burr and his like feel that he has. Clive just has this feel that just totally suits these songs.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I, I would have been interested to hear him play on something off Peace of Mind or off Power Slave, you know, just, just just to hear the erraticness of it, you know, he even has songwriting credits on this album and there is always some weird drum stuff that's happening. And like, sometimes I don't even know if I like it, <laughs> you know, Yeah. but it's just weird. And like, it's like the, the music is so good that you don't, really notice it all the time but when you really listen to it you're like wow that's crazy like if you know I would never ask my drummer to try a beat like that in a song like this ever and obviously the production of Martin Birch that's why honestly like I like Killers better than than the first album Killers would probably be my second favorite Maiden album but I think I only like Killers better than the debut because of the production you know because of Martin Birch like it just it has that sound I think song wise the first album may be Maybe be cooler
1: yeah well killers is a lot of leftovers from the iron maiden yeah you know, i would I, really good production yeah
0: if i could add on to that, that 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 was one of the things that i'm conflicted on and and i'd love to hear your perspective on this because birch's recording here so much has changed in the band um you know with adrian's influence and bruce obviously and i totally agree with you that this is a step they're scaling up you know uh you know it's the end of the Burr rain in a way and they're they're, they're moving on But I almost feel like there's something about the production, and we talked about it a fair bit on the podcast. There's something production I can't put my uh, finger on that I don't like. And it's almost that I I think based on what you're saying, if I was to sum it up, I would say that I love the way that that Killers is produced for Paul. And there's just something about this. Maybe I feel that later on, um, maybe it's the way that they produced way more for for, uh, Bruce's vocals later on. It, It became a fuller sound or something that maybe I'm looking back in hindsight. I don't know. Maybe I'm naive. What do you think?
2: well do, how do you feel about the production on peace of mind and power slave
0: oh, I love power slave although we had we had quite a debate about that when we were we were going on okay. about the production level I love it peace of mind I mean to me the production feels consistent here um even though I, I know there's been some changes but yeah I mean I, I love all of the albums I just find when I got into this one I narrowed right in on it I found on some of the vocal mixing and and we we talked right. at length about this I don't know I just I found like i, I I'm not knocking the recording but there's just something I can't put my finger on is that this, that, that the production hasn't evolved to where the band has
2: gone since Deanna left. May I see a little bit of that? I mean, maybe that maybe why I like it a little bit more. I'm so attached to that. The first era of the, of the band. Well, the first era of, of studio albums, you know, I mean, okay, look at it this way. <laughs> this is the third album, the third full length from the band. It's really the fourth release. though, if you count Soundhouse tapes and you have basically four, you have one release a year, and you have a different lineup every year. Well, I mean it's true. crazy. And you even go into year 5 with peace of mind and have another lineup change. And you're you're not talking like small changes here. Drummers are not a small change. Yeah, no, that's totally singers true. singers are definitely not a small change and even like with guitar players when you're talking about somebody like Adrian Smith and Dennis Stratton, I mean those guys are super super powerful writers and They both of them and Dennis Stratton. I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard him sing, but he has an amazing voice. I mean, we all know Adrian can sing, but Dennis Stratton can really sing, you know, and he did a lot of backups on that stuff. All the things that, you know, he was out of the band for whether, you know, for liking the Eagles or whatever, like whatever influence he had from (laughs) whatever influence he had from that it kind of added to stuff like remember tomorrow or, you know, it added to things like that, you know, I mean, that's the whole nother tangent, but I mean, that's the way I look at this is because I look at the revolving lineups. so close in time. Luckily we have every year we have an album to capture that to me. This is, this is my key maiden lineup, even though I love Paul Deano for me. This is like the best lineup that they that they've ever had. For me, it's better than a step in the
0: right direction. Jarvis, there's there's something about the feel of this album because we talked about the um, we talked about the theme, we talked about the artwork, and it's so iconic for me. And it's like if you were to condense Maiden down uh, into an album, or it'd almost be like a greatest hits. And if you condense it to a song, Number of the Beast, and the artwork is so iconic, and it resonates so well with how people perceive Maiden. I almost feel when I look at Night Demon that that translates that that so much of its, I don't know, the artwork and so much of the feel, at least from the maiden influence that you talked about when you were last on, seems to come from this album or around this era. Do you feel that this was one of the most influential albums on Night Demon?
2: I think so, yeah. You know, I remember when we were doing our first full length, we would listen to this album on vinyl. Not that we hadn't heard it a bunch of times. But we were going into the studio and basically saying, hey, we want it to resemble this sound-wise. And again, I just think it's the whole vibe. I think it's combined. Sometimes things are subliminally infectious, you know? Like, you you can really get the vibe and energy that... I sound like a hippie, but, like, the energy... <laughs> you know, the energy just lives in, in recorded material sometimes. It, it really just does. You know, you can... Like, sometimes I listen to the, you know... Like I've listened to just just the rhythm guitars on this album, and I'm like, man, that's a shitty guitar sound. Like if I had that sound in the studio, I mean, I would definitely tweak it before I put it down. But then you hear everything together, and you're like, oh man, it's perfect, you know. So um, there's just a lot of things, you know, as as a musician and as a recording artist, that that you kind of pick up on on stuff like that. And you're like, okay, it just really seemed on this album that everybody was playing for for the song and not not for themselves which is which is really good which you know when you listen to the earlier albums like there's parts that are just so crazy you know i mean they're really cool and they're like exciting to listen to because they're so loose but they're so crazy where you know you could tell the guys were like oh man i want to do a drum solo in the middle of this song right you know or steve harris is like i want to see how fast i can play this on the bass with my fingers you know and it's like whoa dude you know plus the this is the first album to me that had start where Maiden started to write actual epics, you know. I mean, I would say, you know, the Song Killers is one of the best songs of all time. Like the title track, that song, you could tell with the intro, they were kind of putting their toe in the water of like writing an epic song, or Phantom of the Opera, you know, yeah, stuff. I would like say this. Phantom for sure, yeah. Right, you know, but but still, even with Phantom, there's just a lot of just some a lot of it's just straight rock and roll riffing
1: right well one of the things me and josh mentioned about like epic tracks is before this there were some like sort of epic tracks but where bruce added to the band is he's like such a showman and he can really sell like the theatrics that he brings to the song like hallowed be thy right. name It really brings it up into like another category of like epic song.
2: It's the operatic kind of uh, characteristics with the voice, with the vibrato, with the long drawn out notes. When he goes higher without screaming, you know that's what I like. I loved about his voice in the earlier days. It he wasn't just trying to go for the raspy, you know, like it kind of seemed like in the later years that's how he would sell a song. On this record, you have like man, he's like when I'm gonna sing high. I'm going to sing high and powerful and in pitch. And when I'm going to scream, I'm going to scream. I think it comes across as um, much more effectively. I mean, even if you listen to like um, Acacia Avenue on the second chorus, he starts singing it higher. It's the same thing is happening with the band, but he sings it a little higher with a little more conviction. He does something subtle like that, but it really sets the song up to go into the bridge, you know, to the next part. As opposed to just repeating himself. So, like, I really give that up. And look, again, I don't know if how much of that is Martin Birch's influence, too. You know, you hear about him having to sing the first line of Beast for four hours right. until he gets it right. You know, Martin Birch said he was doing the same thing to Ronnie James Dio, who was already like the most amazing singer on the planet. So, I mean, we really don't know production wise who influenced what. Like we don't know. And that's what that's what bums me out. I mean, I always wish somebody wrote a book about this record. You have that classic albums D V D, but like you see Martin Birch there and he's starting to like solo some of the tracks and you get like you get nothing of that in that film. Like if you go if you watch that series you know, they've done it for a lot of albums. You watch yeah. like the Ace of Spades Motorhead one? Yeah, I've seen that one too. It's like you're hearing the whole record, you know?
1: And then at the end of the album, Martin Burks is kind of like, I'd like to remix the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's like right. the last yeah, yeah. words of the documentary. And I was like, really? <laughs> yeah,
2: that's pretty funny. You know, so just to let you guys know, I've broken down every song on this record. Like the structures, everything. Like how many times they do stuff, what tempo they're doing stuff. When things come back, I mean, I just wanted to know because sometimes as a listener, you don't think about it. But when you actually listen to it and break it down and write it down, you're like, oh, wow. Or you find commonalities like the like the spoken word intro on Prisoner and the spoken word intro on Number of the Beast are both 25 seconds long. Exactly. Ah. Wow. You know, Got oh you on that God. one Nesbitt. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> but but yeah. But you know, stuff like this, it's like I I really when I get into an album and, and you really dissect it as a you know, I'm a songwriter as well. So it's interesting to to find how some of these songs were structured and, you know, it's it, I would just like to know so much more, you know, about the process.
1: So one thing when you dissect all the songs cuz I've been, you know, paying a lot of attention to like how the songs are built and things when you're kind of listening to it, analyzing it. One thing I came up with is this, this seems like there's no like bloat, like there's no songs that are stretched longer than need to be. There's no guitar solos that are longer than need to be. The bridges are all the right length. There isn't anywhere where I would say like someone should have came in and cut that down. You know what I mean?
2: Well, I mean, that's for example, I mean, don't kill me on this, but book of souls, that's my biggest gripe with that album. The songs are way too long. They milk the choruses way too long, man. Like you're hearing them do double choruses and then they double that. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I'm like, dude, we get it. On this record, you don't really have that. Back to Acacia Avenue. I don't know why this is one of my favorite songs on here, but like with that structure, you don't hear the chorus for a while and you only hear it twice in the song. And then they go out. And that song is long, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You true. only hear the you hear the chorus twice in that song but they have two different verses. So the first two verses and the second two verses, actually, I think there's five verses, but the, the first two verses and then the chorus, then the second two verses, then the chorus, then they go into this whole middle section. Then another right, they verse.
1: Get the bluesy part
2: in the middle. Yeah. Right. Then another verse, but they'd never go back to the chorus. but an interesting thing is the first two verses are completely different riffs altogether. To re listen to that one now. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. you listen to it. It's ding 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 ding. You know, if you're feeling down, depressed, and lonely, right? So when you when you're getting into the other the the verses, you know where he's where he's calling Charlotte by name, and then, you know the uh that you know the riff that ding 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 ding, ding, yeah. ding ding ding. Yeah, I mean that's those are completely different riffs, but they're verses, and I think that is so damn clever you know it's just it's amazing it almost seems to me somebody wrote lyrics and hey here's there's five verses and here's this story and then they just put blindly put it to a song and said okay well here's what i have to work with and it came out like really good you know right
1: so i think that's like the steve harris because that started as an urchin song right and steve harris said he well he said he maidenized it so i think he basically (laughs) took a little bit of like one riff and a little bit of another
2: riff. And then just basically rewrote a whole song around that. I mean, it really sounds like that. I mean, do you, have you heard, is that Urchin song released?
1: Ah, uh, yeah, it is. Actually we played it, it on this, uh, on
0: the last episode of the podcast.
2: Is it on the, it's the, it's on the high roller EP.
0: Actually you can, you can hear a clip of it on this fantastic podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um have you ever ever done any covers of any of those songs here just for fun or otherwise I mean not officially as night Even or anything Any any,
2: other any covering any maiden songs
0: Yeah well from the number of the beast
2: have you have you never. Ever played around with them No I never will No you can't I mean why it's perfect the way it is you know like there's there's no way that I would have any better interpretation of it You know one thing we said we would never do was cover maiden we did do wasted years and and we've had the opportunity to do a studio version and we're just never going to do it. I that. did see a
1: clip of that on YouTube. Yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, it's a, it's great when you're playing for a total metal audience that loves that. And like, when you get called out for an encore, sometimes you just want to do something fun. And, you know, for us, I mean, we just, it's the only Maiden is one of the only maiden songs that doesn't have guitar harmonies everywhere. So as a three piece band, we're like, okay, that works. You know, <laughs> it's a, it's also not eight minutes long. And, you know, it's kind of impressive when you can do something as three guys with, you know, when the band's currently playing it with seven guys, you know, so it's good natured fun that we do that. There's one band and it's Iron Maiden. That's it. There doesn't need to be another band like ever. You know, like, I feel <laughs> ashamed for even trying, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so but but I mean, Night Demon covers tons of songs. Every album are all of our B-sides are covers. I mean, we're probably up to like um six or seven now that have been officially released and we have more in the can so i'm a big fan of playing other people's songs um i mean it's how i learned to play and i could play like almost any black sabbath or kiss song like at the drop of a hat um, I can play a lot of Maiden riffs, but I never really try to to really get into like just learning how to play Maiden songs because it's it's intimidating, man. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So.
0: Jarvis, what's your perspective on "Hallowed Be Thy Name"? Uh, it's my favorite Maiden track of all time. It's so perfect from my perspective, top to bottom. Really engages you. What do you make of the song?
2: Um, you know, that's it's interesting. The song is set is over is just over seven minutes long. And it doesn't feel like that whatsoever. Like I never have listened to that song and said, you know, this is dragging on. Or, you know, oh, that was a long epic track. You know, I've never felt like that at all.
1: It's the perfect build and it builds
2: at the perfect pace. It's the perfect song. I will say this, here's my one criticism about the song. This is from a musician's standpoint, all right? The outro is freaking, it's weak. I mean, it's like you know, be the and then it's like, bum, bum. Yeah. you know, like no, dude, you gotta ep- like epic that shit out, you know, like like it's the last track on the record, you know. I mean, I, you know, just more hits, you know, bow, 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 something, you know, something like that. Hit the bell again. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just something like that. Like, I mean, I really think that's just, it's the very last note of the song is what I'm talking about.
0: I would, di- I disagree with that. I find it's a good book and I, I find it fades out and the, the feeling there is kind of, you know, with his life, but I, I get you.
2: Listen to it again. Listen to it again. Just listen to the last yeah. two notes. All right.
0: Yeah, we, we debated that one a fair bit because I, 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 feel the same way in the sense, like placing such an, cause to me it's, it's not just probably my favorite maiden song. It's one of my favorite songs, period. And to put it at the end of an album back then, you know, position on an album mattered. I don't know if, you know, it depends on the album, depends on the, the genre, but it does matter. And generally you didn't stick the best track you've ever heard in the history of the world on the end of an album. And, uh, you know, so I I do agree with you there. But then when you look at like Nesbitt justified as like the crescendo of the album and the, and the theme and all of that stuff, it just kind of fit there. That's perfect. Where are you on the Gangland versus Total Eclipse?
2: I'm a Total Eclipse guy. Oh really? I mean, here's the thing.
0: I just argued the opposite.
2: No no no. Um, I didn't hear Total Eclipse until. I was, uh, yeah, I think I was about 12 years old. And I, I, I was at a, like a street fair, like just something with my parents, you know, and there was a guy selling records and he had the picture disc single for run to the hills, the seven inch. So I'm like, Oh, killer, man. And then I flipped the B side and it was totally clips and I'd never heard it. And I said, what the hell is this? The dark vibe that comes in when that verse comes in is just so good. I am a fan of gangland. But, I mean, again, it's, a, it's another Invaders for me. The vocals kind of follow the riff, you know? And it just kind of seems like they were just kind of just getting stuff done, you know, and going through the motions. Yeah. But there are, there are other parts of the song that I really like. But again, Invaders or Gangland, right? Take both of those songs. Is that ever a song, even a diehard Maiden fan, if you said, hey, you can pick the set list, you know? And you wanted to pick super rare songs, like, would you put those in there? I don't know, man.
1: I just feel uh, Total Eclipse would like destroy the momentum. Like At least Gangland has like a good pace, and it keeps the pace up going into Hollywood Be Thy Name. Total Eclipse, I think, would just be a momentum killer.
2: Right, right. I mean, look at where it's placed when they did put it in. I mean, does that, does that work? Yeah, right before Hollywood, but
1: I don't think it does. I think it kills the momentum going into the last song.
2: Do you think nine songs is too many?
0: No,
1: I don't. I just think that song in particular doesn't fit with the rest of the songs. I'm, gotcha. I'm not a big fan of the song anyway because I just feel like it doesn't really
0: go anywhere. It's like, well, I think we just talk about so much maiden. You know, like we, we we'd be sitting around here, we could like pick out a Victoria's Secret model and be like, you know what, she's got a mole. You know? yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, literally good, where no, we're at.
2: No, I know. I, I'm the same way, man. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Um, yeah it's interesting. I don't know. I, I really always have felt that that should have been on the album, and then I've always gotten into that debate too. Like, it's kind of funny we're not the first people to debate this and say nobody, nobody comes out and says they should have put it on. They say it should be on instead of this, you know? Like, (laughs) think about it from this perspective. You're a fan of Maiden and they have a new singer. And when you get that record, the first thing you hear, you hear Invaders. And when it gets to that chorus, it's like, oh man, are we doing this, you know?
1: Well, that's how we described it as a, it, I think it's a 10 out of 10 song with a five out of 10. Chorus. You said
2: six out of 10, you're oh, six it. out of 10.
0: Chorus.
2: <laughs> okay. But another thing I was thinking about too, you know, it's like, I always, any, any maiden lore, I always kind of just translate it to my own music in the way of, Hey, this could happen or we should do it like this or try it like this. But you know, the fact that the cover art was, was something that Derek Riggs had done for uh, I, what was it? Purgatory. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, um, and Rod said, "No, let's save this, you know." And so, like Night Demon has a ton of artwork. I mean, we have, we have like professional artists working all the time for us, and you know, sometimes I think about that, like when we get something. But you know, we we still stick with the old stuff. All of our stuff's hand drawn and it's yeah. painted. Oh, right? I really like that so, too. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, there's something about. But, it. Yeah, right. I mean, that's like that's the style. That's the way. I don't think I don't think any band needs to old school heavy metal band needs to modernize themselves in that way, you know? And I think, and we've talked about this before, but I think Maiden kind of did that. And I got turned off by that, you know, by the digital art, you know, that stuff that they were using. Cause I mean, they could definitely afford to have whoever, whoever they want to do yeah. it. There's no know?
0: excuse
1: for a dance of death.
2: Oh man. That's the worst
0: for sure. But yeah, so Jarvis, uh, that's an awesome perspective on The Beast. Uh, definitely seeing Night Demon, some of the influences therein. And I got to say, you're not too different on your takes on the album than ourselves, although I think there might have been a few talking points there. You and Nesbitt back and forth, we could have a little 50 cups. But uh, really, <laughs> really appreciate you calling in today and really appreciate your perspective on this, especially coming so deep in the industry. It's added a lot to this discussion. And we look forward to having you on again to uh, talk about what Night Demon are doing.
2: Yeah, thanks. Much appreciated. Uh anything made in, you know, I listen to you guys every week, no matter where I am in the world. So just kind of makes me makes me feel good. But yeah, again, there's sometimes I just want to like, you know, I wish the show was live because I just want to call in and be like, no, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like like, listen, man. <laughs> For the most part, like 90% of it, you know, I'm like, oh, that's cool that they're talking about that. Cause sometimes I'll be like, Hey, you know, there's this You know, there's just some extra knowledge, but Nesbitt's always pretty damn good at at unearthing some, some things that, that not a lot of people know. He's a good, um, you should be an attorney. You should work for a law firm. You know, you'd be able to get somebody off death row pretty quickly, you know, or be able to keep somebody out of office at least,
0: you know? Yeah. yeah. He comes from a long line of, uh, like award-winning academics. He comes in with his, his, with his book and you should see him. He walks in, he's like, oh, uh, this is going to be an 18 parter. And I'm like, oh God, how much beer do we have? That's literally how it goes. Yeah. I'm like, he's like, what do you what do you think of this song? I'm like, it's killer. <laughs> he's like, did you know it was written backwards and upside down with hieroglyphics? And I'm like, oh god, how do you even know this? Oh, it's awesome, awesome. man. It's so deadly. Well, what a fantastic call from Jarvis, man. He always brings the energy, doesn't he? Oh yeah,
1: man. Yeah. I, f- I have a feeling, like. He just loves Maiden so much. I think you could sit down and talk to him for like all day about Maiden.
0: Oh, definitely, definitely. I love his passion too, right? I mean, oh, yeah. he's he, you, you talk to him, it's the end of the day. He's in between working and then listening. He's going into a session and he's just, yeah, he doesn't stop. He's always going. He's a huge friend of the show. He's been awesome to us.
2: Oh, yeah, And
0: totally. uh, really great to get him on and get his take. Now, his take on it, very similar to ours. Love the album. Yep. Uh, we kind of broke down track by track, went through that. It was fantastic. We referenced a bit of live stuff. Uh, we haven't really talked a lot about the tour. Um, right. So it was 187
1: dates in 18 countries over 10 months. So it was pretty um, intense. So, yeah, it was the Beast on the Road tour. So they were headlining in Europe. They kind of made the leap to being headliners. Yeah. They're still opening in the States. They open for Judas Priest, Scorpions, Rainbow. I can't remember who else. 38 Special. I think this is the first tour where they brought the whole Dr. Doctor thing in before. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure. They might have done it a few times on the Killers tour. I'm not sure. But this is where that became a staple. And also where the Walk On Eddie first started. You know, they had the Maiden, Iron Maiden, the mask that had like the blood coming out of the mouth. And then that kind of graduated to uh, like a guy in an Eddie mask coming out on stage. But this is the first like big Walk On Eddie with the stilts. Yeah. Started
0: on this tour. And it kind of fits with the scaling up and the bigger stage presence and Bruce, as we talked about. So it was the time was right. Yeah. So they toured, they started the
1: tour before the album came out and they did like 20 dates, kind of to hype the album. And then they released the album and they kept touring. It was a pretty intense tour. The last date of the tour before the album came out is the Beast over Hammersmith. So that was two days before the album came out. Uh, they, They recorded a concert video of it. The lighting was all messed up and they didn't release it. It did come out after on uh, the history of Iron Maiden part one, the early days. Yeah. Uh, in 2004, the, that DVD has yeah. the recorded concert that was never released. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. And the audio wasn't released until Eddie's archive in 2002. That was a box set that comes with like the scroll and the, th- the six discs. Yeah. So, yeah. A favorite and they played for... the Reading Festival, August 28th, 1982. So here they are again at the Reading Festival again. This time Bruce is their singer and they're headlining, so a lot happened between yeah. the last time when they were there. Then there's that gap year where they showed up and they talked to Bruce, and a year after that, here they are the next year at Reading Festival.
0: Well, full with certain. Bruce as the singer, yeah, <laughs> and completely different. Oh my the, God, Yeah, the um, that was one of the key takeaways with Jarvis that I because you get the band uh, members, you know, the because his his influence in music, so many different bands, and that his perspective on that rate of change was so unique, and uh, you know, to be to to just constantly see that period of change from the early years into the first two albums into this album and even beyond, he talked about it just. To sustain that level of touring and constant oh, yeah. change, it's, it's amazing. It's be a grind. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's not even like the shows; it's the traveling and the just everything.
0: Yeah, it'd be a, a total grind. So I think for most Maiden fans, um, this album is one of the tops, and we've we've, we've referenced yeah. this throughout. Um, you know, if you were to name your favorite five, you'd, you'd name seven. But I mean, you'd be hard pressed not to to debate this in your top three, no matter who you are. Maybe your top four. Um, how was it received by the public?
1: Uh, well, it, yeah, it was really popular. It went to number one on the album charts right away. You know, metal fans just loved it. Um, there were some people that like trashed it. I can't remember the exact interview I was reading. Uh, that book, Infinite Dreams, that I mentioned earlier. Well, there's a quote in there from Steve Harris, and he's telling a story about there was a DJ that was like, play, played one of the tracks from this album on the radio and like took it off halfway through and started saying, like, how battle was and stuff yeah. so there was some like you know it wasn't quite accepted by everyone there some, i think some critics didn't like it and panned it but fans loved it um it went to number one on the album charts when maiden found out that their album went to number one they were actually in switzerland pushing their broken down tour bus in the snow trying to get it started so they're trying to get to paris and they're like broken down and that's where they were that's what they're doing when they found <laughs> out so it's weird they this like maiden on the first two albums not only is it this whole leap in sound and like their stage and everything is getting bigger and their show is getting bigger,
0: yeah,
1: and their album sales are getting bigger, but apparently the guys in Maiden were making about a hundred pounds a week before this tour, yeah. And by the time Beast on the Road tour was done, they're making like a ton of money, like and selling, selling tons of merchandise. And I read a quote with Dave Murray where he says, When they got back from this tour, they all got a six figure bonus each. So let's you know that's insane. That's pretty big for you know one album and one tour that just shows like how big and how quickly they got big yeah they're huge yeah, yeah. like yeah. yeah they you know based on this album rod to kind of renegotiated their deal with a record company and so like there was no more like borrowing from the record company to finance the tour the maiden was in the black and that was it and he brings that's in it. andy taylor to help manage so it's just this is yeah where they took that step it's all new maiden after this not only in the sound, like we all totally got into that with the sound writing, and all that, but like financially, financially, and just yeah. the size of the band, and they turn into this big, they're huge band at this point.
0: Yeah, yeah, wow. That's yeah, pretty cool. Not a great time to leave, Paul. Huh? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh well, it worked yeah. out. Yeah, I guess we're all concerned. All right, fantastic. So looking back, what a what an amazing album, and yeah. what a journey for us. Four different. Uh, Sessions, recording this now. Um, yeah.
1: Well, yeah, we've been a month recording and have. listening to and talking about and thinking about Number of the Beast. Yeah, we have. So,
0: yeah. Wow. A
1: month a month of our life was Book of Souls.
0: Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of listening, a lot of prep goes into this stuff. It's, yeah. it's been dominant. I'm going to miss it, but I think I'll listen again. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite main notes. Yeah. I love it. Man. So a month it's
1: of talking awesome. about it, a month of listening about it, a month of yeah. reading books about it. And like me researching stuff about it. Yeah. Still not sick of this album. So it just goes oh, to show you can how never awesome is. I'm sick it of this is. album. Yeah.
0: Not a few old maidens. Too yeah. good. Too good. So we wrap it there. we done. With yeah. That. We're That's done. Good. Number of the Beast.
1: Thanks to my sister for uh, sending from New Brunswick this Grim Ross porter. Yeah. Pugnacious porter. It's pretty good. That was, it was excellent. It's a good
0: porter. I, I enjoyed it i gotta say yeah i had it. a bunch of their beers one of the new brunswick the, the chocolate and coffee really taste good. i think yeah. that's just printed on every porter <laughs> i don't know if i can taste it that was fantastic and i uh, shout out again to jarvis for calling in yeah that was nice. very cool call yeah. that was awesome all right talking Com. go on there uh, send us an email if you have any questions or any ideas yep or anything you want any feedback good or bad always welcome it and uh iTunes, anywhere else, any podcast that you listen on, if you can rate us, we'd appreciate it. Tell your friends. Tell your tell friends. all your friends that listen to Maiden. Tell all your friends that listen to Maiden. There's two yeah. guys <laughs> and they, they 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 also like Maiden. <laughs> right. Till next time. Up the irons, down the house.